Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manesh. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Dallas, Fort Worth. Welcome to the show, Kim Radiker bays Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Great to have you here. Well, Kim, this is an unprecedented time that we are living through right now in the world of investing. Part of it's feeling very frothy, very 2007-ish in terms of high valuations and lots of multiple offers and properties above asking price and all of the rest, rising interest rates. There's a lot of headwinds in the marketplace that are pointing to perhaps a downturn in the market, but yet it hasn't materialized yet. But before we dive into those details, maybe why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Sure. I've been doing multifamily real estate for almost 11 years now and did a uh, few years of single family prior to that. Um, so I've grown it from one property with two employees and 77 units to over time now, we have acquired 25 properties, sold 15 of those going full cycle. So I have 10 right now, kind of been waiting between uh, 3,000 to 5,000 units at a time, but have done close to 10,000 units uh, over, the, over the career. Awesome. All of those have been in DFW until last year, and then now we've expanded into the Houston market as well. Um, but very, very comfortable here in the state of Texas. Absolutely. And of course, the Houston market is so different than Dallas. Uh, you know, a lot of people think of them both as primary Texas markets, but the dynamics of those two markets are so, so different. They are definitely different. Um, I think that Houston, though, has really changed from what it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I thought of it as very much a boom and bust market, sort of like I would think of sort of like some of the areas in Florida used to be in, you know, California or even like a Phoenix years ago, um, kind of the areas that really got a big bubble and then kind of popped. But the in in Houston now, the workplace has gotten a lot more diversified in terms of the industries that are offered. Um, so I think that's really made a big difference uh, to the stability of the region and the stability of, of what's going on in Houston. We're active in both those markets, and we would definitely agree with that as well, for sure. So fast forward to today, you've done 25 properties, you've gone full cycle with a bunch of them. There's obviously concern about cap rate compression. There's obviously concern about interest rate risk, possibly concern about pullback in valuations. Maybe as interest rates go up, maybe cap rates will increase, values will come down. Uh, what what are some of the risks that you're seeing on the horizon? What do you propose to, to do to mitigate those? I think there absolutely is some interest rate risk at this point in time, um, kind of looking at it in some of the macro ways that the interest rate increases could impact things. I doubt that we're going to see the full interest rate curve trajectory that they are currently predicting, but it could always be wrong. I just think that you're going to start to see such economic problems overall from people unable to pay the debt that we've encouraged them to take on through our policies that it's going to be a little hard for it to really get pushed all the way up there. But I think there's definitely going to be some interest rate risk. And so very important when you're underwriting to make sure that you've got uh, the ability to withstand a higher interest rate. The big thing with the, with all of multifamily is as long as you're cash flowing well and you don't have a loan that's expiring, it's pretty forgiving in terms of you can have some short-term value, short-term valuation things that if cap rates go up a little bit with the interest rates and still maintain a good position so really paying attention to your cash flow, making sure you've got sufficient reserves for rainy days, I think is a, is a big a big piece. And you know, cap rates have continued to compress to levels that are just crazy. I, there's this things I'm seeing in the market right now 
are substantially more expensive, or at least the whisper prices are a lot more expensive than even most of the stuff I closed on at the end of last year. So that's been an interesting dynamic to watch that even with the interest rates increasing, it seems like there is still cap rates haven't really moved quite yet, or at least the expectations aren't, uh, though the lenders have started to tighten up a little bit that I think will perhaps mitigate the continual upward trajectory of, of pricing. Well, there's no question that there's so much money chasing yield right now. There's so much money chasing too few opportunities that as soon as a property comes on the market, if it's if it's given any kind of airplay, it ends up being an auction with multiple offers. And I know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the winning bidder with 19 guys behind me because I'm virtually guaranteed to be paying too much. For us, we've actually focused on new development because we found there is less competition for new development. We can build things for less than things are selling for in the open market with higher quality and see a clear path to an interim exit with a refinance, which is not necessarily always doable with a repositioning play with a value add deal because it's speculation that your existing tenants will be able to afford that much more in rent. Sure. I mean, having done so many value add units, I normally try to look at it very much in terms of what we can get for rents elsewhere today if it were just renovated, not so much that the current residents necessarily can't afford it, but that the market can withstand it. So that's a that's definitely a piece on the value add part, but we are as well looking into development. We've got two developments underway now that are you know smaller townhome developments. But again, yes, there it is very challenging to find some of these existing properties that really makes sense in in today's pricing market, and especially as the lending starting to tighten up a little bit. I absolutely believe that town, the townhouse product is the place to be for a rental product. There's no question. We're rapidly becoming a nation of renters. There's a lot of folks that are having a hard time getting onto that ladder of home ownership, where the first rung of the ladder is that big step. Once you get on and you get a little bit of equity built up, then getting the second, third, and fourth rung on that ladder is much easier. But getting that first rung is really hard for a lot of folks. And because of that, if they grew up living in a single family home, then they don't want to move to a box in the sky on the 15th floor. They want that single family home experience. And a townhouse lives like a single family home, even though it's a cost structure that is more like an attached dwelling, uh, because it is an attached dwelling. And, and we, we absolutely see that for at least the foreseeable future, that that's a product that's going to be in very, very hot demand. Agreed. So when you're underwriting a piece of dirt, you're looking at a, a, a piece of property and you say, okay, it's so much dollars per square foot. How do you decide whether to build townhouses versus something that might be higher density? Well, in the cases um, so far, we actually were one of the pieces of land. We got a really good deal on the dirt because a developer next door had owned a much larger piece of that dirt and managed to get things kind of redrawn, if you will, so that we had a much higher open space requirement. And so with that higher open space requirement, the, really getting the density of that didn't make as much sense. And so really going to the larger floor plans that is kind of a, a gap in the market in that area really made a lot of sense at that point since we were going to have to have more green space anyway. That makes sense. We've long maintained that the value of land is not tied to the acreage. It's tied to what you can put on it in terms of density. Value of land is completely linked to entitlement. And when municipalities change their minds and say, well, no, you can't do that because of whatever reason, maybe too high traffic density, maybe we don't have space in the schools, whatever the reason might be, then you have to adjust. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so you talked about interest reserves. You talked about having capital reserves as ways to mitigate against uh, future risk. What other risks are you seeing in the horizon right now that you think investors need to be paying attention to? Well, I think there's definitely some political risk, and there, there's only a limited amount that we can do to control that, unfortunately. I mean, I, I guess you can vote, but there's a whole lot of other people that get to vote along with you that doesn't necessarily make it go your direction. So um, I think that's one of the big things. But really, geographical risk as it relates to the political risk, I think, is huge. Um, so really making sure I think there is a much greater risk, for example, in an inner city Chicago repositioning building than there is in a suburban Dallas-Fort Worth or suburban Houston location because we are in a landlord friendly state there are things that we can do even you know yet the, we experienced all kind of all kinds of federal issues on things but at least on the state level and the local level it's a relatively landlord friendly property rights you know pro property rights state and so i think that makes a big difference in terms of how much of that risk there is I think one of the things that really makes a difference in, for example, in the state of Texas, and I'll make the distinction between Texas from, say, Arizona and Florida, which are two other Sunbelt destinations, mm-hmm. you don't have that many second homes in Texas where people may, maybe own a home in the Northeast and they have their, their winter place in Texas. That You don't hear that very often, but you do hear that in South Florida. You do hear that in Arizona. And in moments of financial duress, I think people will give up the second home first and protect the homestead. We saw that in the wake of 2008. That's why Miami-Dade County, Broward County, Maricopa County in Arizona, those counties led the nation in terms of defaults and foreclosures because many of those were in fact second homes. I think that's a fantastic insight. And um, and you're correct. There's, I mean, not that there's no snowbirds in Texas, but there's not very many unless they're, you know, kids happen to live down here and they have a home that they lived in in Wisconsin earlier. But it, it is very, very true that it is not, a, it is mostly a homestead state. And so that is a, an excellent point. Um, it also is very jobs driven. There's not tons and tons of retirees, even that are even homestead wise necessarily here as compared to some other areas. Absolutely. Well, Kim, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Um, sure. Well, our website is exponentialpropertygroup.com. But since everyone has trouble uh, spelling exponential, you can also email invest at expg.com. And uh, Amanda and her team will get back to you and get you set up on an investor portal. I'll be happy to answer any questions about what we do, how we do it, and all of that. And um, we certainly look forward to connecting. Fabulous. Well, Kim, love the insights. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Kim at exponentialpropertygroup.com or email invest at exppg.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.